couple of weeks ago, uh, I was able to preach on the weekend, and I made a statement. I said, God is not coincidental, he's intentional. And as I look at the message that we're uh, going through today, it's on this, the, the, the thought and the idea of a legacy of leadership, and we just got to celebrate that. And when I think about legacy of leadership, I can't help but think about relationships, because if there is a legacy of leadership of somebody that has been a great leader, there's a relationship. He's or she has been a mentor, and they've always had a mentee. They're always constantly in building and growing this legacy of passing on leadership. In fact, this series that we've been in from six weeks, uh, the Elijah series and now into Elisha series, has all been about this idea of building a legacy of leadership. And I think of some of the great relationships. You can look in the Bible. You have Moses and Joshua. You have Paul and Timothy and Elijah and Elisha. But I think there's one industry that gets it right. And they tell some of the most epic stories about this idea of a mentor and a mentee. And that's Hollywood. There are some amazing movies. Come on, let's admit it. Hollywood has had some amazing movies all about a mentor and a mentee, a great leader and somebody that says, oh, I want to be just like them. In fact, I'm going to look at a couple of them. The first one, who's that? Yeah, that's Yoda and Luke, right? Luke goes to the Dagobah system. I got that corrected last service. I called it indoor. I don't necessarily know the difference. But anyways, I got the clarification. So Luke lands, goes to Dagobah. It's this gross place, and he runs into whatever Yoda is, and this relationship starts. Now, moms, I want you to look at this picture. You see how Luke is carrying Yoda on the back? I think Luke Skywalker is the inventor of the baby Bjorn, right? The original baby carrier right there. Here's another one. Oh, the classic, right? Mr. Miyagi and Daniel. This is the scene of the, the wax on, wax off. You have a kid that moves from, I think, New Jersey to Reseda. I don't know why his mom would ever pick to move to Reseda. There's not a whole lot there. But he runs into Mr. Miyagi. Um, he's a kid that gets picked on and learns karate to become like the greatest karate champion in his community. Last one. This one's current, right? Lion King, Mufasa, and Simba. You have a story of a great father who is intentional about everything, teaching everything to his son, and then tragedy strikes. The son runs, and then the kingdom that his dad built is in perish, and he comes back and saves the day. One of the things I love about a mentor-mentee story like these in the movies is that there's always this tale of good and evil, and good always rings out. And that's like the, 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 like the heartbeat of a true story of a movie that we're like, man, I love it. And whenever I see these pictures, it always brings up just good, strong feelings in my life about being mentored by, by somebody. In fact, this last picture I'm going to show you is probably, I'll say it, one of the most epic mentor-mentee relationships that's maybe ever existed, maybe in my personal opinion, Pastor Mike and myself. <laughs> But seriously, though, I think of all the time and intentionality that Pastor Mike has put into my life. I've been on staff here now for over five and a half years, and uh, Pastor Mike, throughout that entire time, has just been so passionate about sharing his knowledge, sharing his wisdom, guiding and correcting as necessary as we need sometimes as a young pastor. And I'm just so thankful because there's a lot of us on staff that would say, man, if it wasn't for him and him being willing to pass 
pass that baton of leadership on, we wouldn't be as strong as we were as a church. And the thing I love about each one of these stories is there's this common theme that's woven in every single one of them. It's this theme of the leader, the mentor, being intentional in developing the mentee to be a greater leader than they ever were. They were so passionate about being intentional in the development so that that leader could carry on that legacy of leadership. The mentor got this point right here, that the legacy of leadership is a baton. It's a baton that's meant to be passed. It's not a trophy that's kept in a display case. And I think this, if you think, of a, a, I think about a, a relay race. What happens in a relay race if you don't make the pass or you, don't, or you drop the baton? You lose, right? Plain and simple. There's no trophy for dropping the baton in a relay race. And I would say the same thing is true with leadership. Leaders that get this point that leadership is about a legacy, it's about a baton and, and passing it on. Leaders who don't get this and run their race and feel like they've been so strong and they may win their leg of the race, but when they're about to pass it on, the baton drops. And the person that was waiting to receive it is set up from failure from the very beginning. This point, when it comes to, to leadership, is so important that it's, it's, not, it's not about this Look at me and all the great things that I did. No, it's about this idea of spending time intentionally developing those around you to be a greater leader than you ever were. At Newbreak, you heard Pastor Mike say this in the video. One of the things that we are absolutely passionate about, in fact, this is our vision statement as a church, is we're passionate about developing Christ-centered leaders who change their world. And we start this from the earliest process, from, from our kids' ministry all the way up to us sitting in the crowd today. From our students, we, we raise them up to be leaders. Uh, one of the things we're celebrating around here is all the students, um, like 26-plus students, that are going to be leaders at, v, at our summer camp next week, at our kids' camp next week. That's awesome. That's like intentional leadership development that it's happening. Those of you that have done, uh, been a part of any of the, our weekend serving teams or our teams during the week, you've watched the process of being developed as a leader of yourself or in our life group ministries. All the opportunity to constantly grow in, in this opportunity to be a leader because we're passionate. We're passionate about this developing leaders. And I love this quote. It says this, a transition will be one of the greatest tests of your leadership, but will also serve as one of the greatest rewards and testimonies of your legacy. Last week, Pastor Mike kicked off this new series on Elisha. And as I look at the past six weeks of Elijah to a, where we find ourselves today with Elisha, it's all about the, the legacy of leadership. We've watched the story of Elijah, the prophet that came on the scene and just had this incredible, incredible adventures, uh, adrenaline-filled uh, situations from the great battle on Mount Carmel to where we find ourselves today. We're 18 years later compared to last week, so we're fast-forwarding up about 18 years, and we're at the moment of the baton pass. We're at the moment where Elijah is to pass 
the baton to Elisha. And what we see is the story begins to shift a little bit. Kind of the, the tension and the urgency of the story shifts because Elijah is getting ready to leave. And Elijah, or Elisha, is getting ready to take his first steps as a leader. So, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 2 Kings. We'll be in uh, verse 1. And also, when you walked in the door this morning, you got a program. Inside of that program is an outline. That outline is like a roadmap and, and a place for you to keep um, your notes for where we're going today. So, 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah said to Elisha, where we're uh, we're on uh, we're on there uh, Elijah and Elisha I get confused with the names can you give me a little grace three messages in and I have to preach those two names like 75 times <laughs> little grace <laughs> so Elisha says to Elisha um, uh, they were on their way to Gilgal and Elisha says to Elijah this he says stay here the Lord has sent me to Bethel but Elisha says as surely as the Lord lives and as you live I will not leave you so they went down to Bethel then a prophet, uh, a company of prophets um, at Bethel came out um, to Elisha, and they said, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha said. Be quiet. And then a second time, <laughs> Elijah says to him, uh, says to Elisha, he says, the Lord has sent me to Jericho, and again, Elisha replies, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And again, a company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha says. So be quiet. A third time, Elijah says to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives... And as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. What we're seeing here is this repetitive pattern of Elisha realizing the urgency of the situation. That his master teacher is going to be departing. And, it, and there is no way he was going to leave his side. He was going to stay with him whatever it took until the very last moment. It says... Starting in verse uh, 7, it says this. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck, it, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what you can do before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And then it happens in verse 11. As they were walking together along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses, a fire, to, a fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. He's been walking 
with Elijah for 18 years, learning everything he possibly could. Elijah has been intentional in every moment in developing him, in teaching him to be able to take that baton and begin to run his race. Now, Elijah gets the most epic Uber to ever show up in the history of the world. I have flipped through the app and I cannot find that option. <laughs> but imagine, Elisha knows who Elijah is. He knows the stories about everything he's done as a prophet. And the moment comes, and here comes this chariot of fire out of the sky to take Elijah up to heaven. And I just imagine in that moment, he feels the presence of the Lord. At the same time, he feels this grief. In fact, it says it. He tears his garments in two. And anytime you see that in the Old Testament, it's a sign of, of lamenting. It's a sign of grief. And he cries out, my father, my father. And that's to show the intimate relationship that him and Elijah have. It's this unbelievable, intimate relationship. They spent every moment together. It's like he's crying out, my father, my father, my master, my master, and sees him no more. So I want to look at two points of this story this morning. The first one is about Elijah, and the second one is going to be about Elisha. The first one is this. What does Elijah teach us about godliness in passing the baton? The first thing I, I see right away is intentionality. I see absolute intentionality. The way that Elijah intentionally spent time, 18 years developing Elisha, there's this sense of absolute intentionality. And, and I think even more, there's the display of a strategic plan that he's got like a logistical almost mindset of like everything he does. He's got a solid plan in order to make this transition from him being the prophet to now Elisha being the prophet and preparing him in order to make that transition. And I look at any part of our life, anytime there's a transition or a transfer or something major in our life is about to happen, we've got to have a plan, right? We've got to have a strong, logistical, like, moment. By, at least I do. I'm a planner. So I got to know. I got to know every aspect about what's going to happen. Because I always say a plan without any strategy is a plan that's built to fail. And when I think of this idea of strategy, I have this thought of when I was in the Coast Guard. And uh, it's this right here. Anybody that's a sailor, that just cringes your whole entire body. That's called unrep. It's refueling at sea. And on a Coast Guard boat, it is a major evolution. Every single person on that ship is a part of this evolution because that Coast Guard ship is going as fast as it possibly can. At least every time I did unrep, we were on full turbines, 26 miles an hour, trying to keep up with this refueler that was obviously looking like it was putting out no effort. And it was always rough sea. And that big black rubber hose that stretched out across the ocean will eventually be fully charged with diesel fuel, connecting the two ships together. Now, one thing we also did is on our flight deck on the back of the boat behind those black smokestacks is uh, there was something called a kingpin, and a kingpin had another thick steel cable that ran across um, to that ship and hooked us up in the back as well, and we would ship back and forth this, uh, we'd transfer back and forth this uh, metal basket, and we'd take like supplies and mail and all that stuff on, and one amazingly lucky person at the end of all of it got to go across in that basket, and it was always the newest person. 
And we always made sure that about right in the middle of the two ships that we would leave them there for about 60 seconds. <laughs> That's awful. Awful. It's development. We're being intentional. <laughs> the one thing about this evolution, though, and the one thing I always kind of got out of refueling at sea, unrep, is the intentionality. Every single person that had a post, the guy hooking the fuel line in, the guy pulling the lever, the people doing the, the, the kingpin, the line in the back, the people in, um, inside of the boat taking the fuel on, there was always somebody alongside them to learn. There was always a mentor and a mentee. Somebody was always learning the job of what somebody else was doing because that person that was doing it was eventually going to transfer. And you can't stop the evolution of refueling at sea. There's an intentionality. There is a process. And I always respected the process because this is, I, this was, I look at that and I'm like, man, I hated those days. They were long and they were hard. But we trusted in the process. We trusted in the timing and the process. And I think as we look at this idea of passing the baton, we have to be willing to trust in the timing of the process. Look at what it says here in verse 2. Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And what does Elijah do three times? He said, no, absolutely not. Because he knew it was about to come to an end. And I'm sure in that situation, it gave Elijah some resolve. Like, okay, this guy's really ready to step into this position of leadership. He's intentional. He won't leave my side. He's staying with me this entire time. He's actually understanding what's going on. He's not trying to shoo him away. He's not trying to say, well, uh, not right now. I, no, he sees this mentee that he's been with for 18 years alongside of him. And Elijah could trust in the fact that Elisha was ready because of all the time they spent together. See, I think when we're able ourselves to begin to trust the timing in the process of a situation, especially in this idea of, of a transition or a transfer, it gives us the opportunity for a few things. Number one, it gives us the opportunity to, to really slow the pace down, not just kind of jump a bunch of steps to get it done, but it gives us the opportunity to really slow the pace down and be intentional in everything that we're doing. It also gives us the ability to hear the other person's heart. And I think in any time of a leadership transition, that has to be one of the utmost important things. Because it can be real easy to deceive, be deceived by charisma and not see the character. But the transition happens and the character is revealed and the charisma fades away and you have a character flawed leader. It gives us the opportunity to really hear their heart. And it also gives us the reassurance because we're able to see God's hands all through the process. We're able to see God take this person that we've been mentoring. And, and parents, this isn't just about leadership. In fact, parents, we get to do the same thing with our kids as we develop our kids, as they begin to transition from, from kids to teenagers to adults. We get to as well. And I'd say this to you, if you're waiting to receive that baton, and it may seem like forever, I would say slow down. Trust in the process and the timing. 
Because when God is ready, when the time is right, that baton will be passed. And for you that are about to pass that baton, don't be abusive and tease somebody with that baton. Don't say, well, I know we've been together for a long time and I've, I've watched you and I just don't think you're ready yet. In fact, here's the problem. You're too young. Or here's the biggest problem. I don't think you have as much experience as I do. Well, no kidding. 20 years compared to like the guy stepping in. You never can compare uh, your ending with somebody's beginning or middle, right? Don't be abusive in handing it off. Don't let the arrogance of maybe thinking that this person might actually do a better job than I do keep you from handling that baton. When we're in any transition season, it's not only about the process, it's about the posture. And as leaders, those of us that are passing the baton, we have to be humble. Humility has to be at the core. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. This is a very, very powerful exchange right here between Elijah and Elisha. Notice he doesn't say or chastise Elijah for his response. He, he hears what he's saying and he realizes, man, that's a heavy task. That's a big ordeal. Double portion? I can give you what I got. I, I don't know what else. But it also shows that Elisha gets it. He gets what he's about to step into. He gets it about the shoes that he's about to wear. He knows who Elijah is. He's heard the stories. He's seen it. He's watched him in action, and he's like, I have to be him. But I need more than anything that I've got. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. And I look at Elijah, and I, I don't know if I'm even able to step into those shoes. And as a person handling that baton, getting ready to hand it off, that should Show some respect and some honor because he understands what's about to happen. He knows that, or whoever who's about to receive the baton, he or she who's about to receive that baton, knows the past and knows what has been accomplished and knows what it took to get where they're at today. And they're showing a sense of honor because Elijah here is like, man, I I can't do this on my own. I need that extra strength. See, when we're transitioning, it's not only about the process or the posture. It's about the person. The person being honored. Those of you that have run the race and you're getting ready to hand off the baton, thank you. And be honored that the next person wants to stand on your shoulders. Verse 10 says it. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah. He gets it. He knows it, he feels it, but he's honored. He's honored. I I can feel it. Like I I could almost sense it in the story where he's like, man, it's it's about to happen, and I'm so grateful that I have somebody that would actually want, want to step into my shoes. And when I'd say, if that's where you're at, that's the season you're at, I want to say thank you. 
Thank you for your legacy of leadership. Thank you for getting us to where we're at today because we couldn't do it without you. And I'd say, like I've said before, sometimes in the church, I don't think we do that good of job of honoring those that have got us to where we're at today. The sages in the audience, the seasoned leaders in the audience. We're standing on your shoulders, shoulders of greatness, getting ready to step into a new future because of the work that you've done. But I'd say this, when you pass that baton, don't stop leading. Don't follow the way of culture in the sense that becoming, and there's a title for it, the, uh, the duns. I graduated my kids, I've kind of led all my life, everything's going kind of cool, and I'm done with the whole church thing. And we look around and there's no shoulders to stand on. We're just kind of pit-following, wondering, what are we going to do? Who are we going to learn from? We have to kind of make this thing up, or what is it going on? What, what do we do? I don't know what to do. And we're just like, eh, whatever, I'm done. I would say, don't do that. We need you in the church we need you leading. We need you setting the example. We need you to go to coffee and tell you about all the dumb stuff that we're doing and how you got through the dumb stuff that we're doing so that we can get to the other side. You know what I'm saying? It's so important for us. And the, the fact that people want to follow you says something great about you. Because when we look at a leader, we either are going to say, man, I'm so impressed with all the godliness, the person, the person that, this, that they are. They're so amazing. They're so godly. Or they're going to look at you and say, I don't want anything to do with you. You're not a leader I would ever follow. You're more concerned about yourself than anybody else. In fact, for any of us, for parents, for leaders, I think... We always have to ask ourselves this question as a leader. Am I making a disciple of Christ or am I making a disciple of me? Am I just focused on creating a whole bunch of mini-me's? If I, all I want is somebody to be exactly like me, I just think everybody would be a whole lot better if they were just like me. And I'm going to lead from that right there. You're going to be like me. Let's say this. A leader that leads from uh, position or title, they're leading out of authority, not influence. And it's influence that gets people to follow a leader. If your whole focus in life as a leader is somebody that's developing somebody from, from a parent to, to, to a leader in the church, a leader in, uh, outside of the church in any, any industry, if your whole goal, your ultimate goal is to make more people like you, you're missing the mark. If they're looking for carbon copies, if everybody was just like me, I need you to be just like me. Our ultimate goal, especially as Christ followers, is to point people towards Jesus. Point them towards Jesus and help them become the person that God has called, created, and gifted them to be. And as I look at this story of Elijah and Elisha, I see that intentionality just throughout the entire story. In fact, let's close out this passage together. We'll pick up um, in verse 13, and it's this, it's this whole deal of Elijah, Elisha beginning to take his next steps as a leader, to begin to run his leg of the race. We'll pick it up. He tore his garments into two, and like I said, that is a process of showing grief, but also in here, what I see is him tearing his garments, is him shedding his old cloak because he's about 
to take on Elijah's. In fact, it says it here. Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. There is his double portion. He's taking his first steps in confidence. And the prophets, the company of prophets from Jericho who were watching, said the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They knew the transition had happened. The baton had been passed. It wasn't dropped. So what can we learn? As those of us that are waiting to receive that baton, what what can we do? What can we learn? What does Elijah teach us about godliness in receiving the baton? The thing that we see three times in this story is that he wouldn't leave Elijah's side, which shows that Elisha stayed teachable the entire time. In fact, anytime we're in a situation where we're learning from somebody, or I think any time in life we always need to stay teachable, but if we're learning from somebody that we're about to replace... We have to learn everything about them and continue to be teachable, even if we think we know better, right? Oh, I, I know why this is why I'm replacing this person. I know why I'm going to lead this department now because I see everything that they've done. Showing no honor to any of the work that they've done, accomplished, because we think, well, I'm a, I'm a greater leader. That's not teachable. That's closing your ears off and saying, nope. Not at all. See, not only do we need to be teachable, we have to honor the past. We have to honor the work that has been done to get to where whatever we're working in, whatever we're experiencing to that point that day. We have to honor the past. We have to learn the systems. We have to learn the thoughts. We have to understand the history in order to fully step into that position, in order to fully step in and have the confidence to know that you can lead, that you can take the baton and you can lead. Now, I'll say this. I'll give this warning because you're like, well, so do I just never make any changes? And I'd say changes aren't bad, but take this warning. Don't be too eager to reinvent the wheel or too fearful to make the needed changes. Because sometimes there are, there's a heart within you. There's gifting and calling within you that has given you the ability to step into this role of leadership. And I think of parents as you're watching your kids. Sometimes they need to make changes in their life because you didn't do it right in your life. Now, kids don't run off and think that you've got it all figured out because it's not like uh, we don't see Elijah, Elisha say, well, I'm glad I'm away from that old man because I'm done. I'm about to show people what it's about. When I'm in charge, things are going to be different around here. No, that's not what he does. He, he stays teachable. He remains humble. He has this sense of he understands the past. He honors it. And what it does is it gives him a sense of confidence. It helps him not only just accept the mantle of authority, it helps him begin to walk into it. He picks up that baton from Elisha and says, yes. And, and look what happens. The prophets see it. They see Elisha tear his cloak, part the waters, come over, and they're like, 
that's the dude right there. That's the guy. That's the new Elijah. He has the spirit of Elijah on them. They say that. The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they, met, they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Why? Because they knew he was their new leader. This is where the baton is passed. The baton is passed to Elisha, and he takes that first step and now begins to run the leg of his race. With the confidence, the knowledge, the humility that he needs to be successful. So let me ask this question. Where are you at in your life? Where are you at right now? Are you the person that's passing the baton? That you're at the end of the race, you're, you're ready, you're like, man, I, have, I, feel like, I feel like I've done well. And people are saying, good job. You feel it. Good job, faithful servant. You feel it from God. The race is there. And you're right to pass that baton. Or are you the person that's getting ready to grab it? Both of them. Both seasons of life right there come with a whole bunch of tension. They come with a whole bunch of stress. Because when you pass that baton, you lose a sense of your identity. Because this is who you've been all your life. This is a lot of ways what has defined you. Now, our work is not supposed to define us. We're not supposed to get our whole identity. Our identity is in Christ. But let's be real. Our work does define us in a lot of ways. And when we pass that baton... We have to become something different. Life is new. And there's a lot of tension in the unknown. But in receiving that baton, if that's where you're at, slow down. Trust the process. And gain the confidence to really step out and take that baton and run your race. And I love how Paul, the Apostle Paul, says this. And I want to look at this last verse. This, to me, is really the true definition of what developing Christ-centered leaders is all about. This is the message of discipleship. This is Paul challenging all those years ago, challenging the, 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 the followers there, the believers there, that he's telling us today it's just as prominent and just as, as, as applicable today. He says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's a whole process of developing baton passers. Entrust reliable people, those that can hold the baton, who will also be qualified to teach others, to raise up and develop baton receivers, and they can pass it. So my challenge is to, to really be intentional. Think about where you're at. Think about where you're at in your life. Parents, think about where it is in your life with your children. Where are you? Are you being intentional or are you being a helicopter parent? Because a helicopter parent will cause something called failure to launch. It almost sustains the growth of our children. I think in leadership there is a sense of the helicopter leader that will prevent that future leader from taking that next step. And I would say this, if that's where you're at, step back, reassess, take this verse, and apply it in your life. 
God's at work. He's doing amazing things. We get to celebrate it. The baton is being passed to Pastor Eric in East County. We see it in our own church. You may have seen it in your life this morning. And I would say this, hold to the truths of this verse and begin to live it out. Let's pray.